I'm Al Dashino, and welcome to the 21st episode of Of Interest. Today is Friday, February 5th, 2021, and this week I'm going to share an interesting idea about how not to capitalize on the pandemic, share an interesting article about the vital importance of opening the churches back up, and then we'll be continuing our interesting study on John Bunyan's classic Pilgrim's Progress by exploring the beginning of the third chapter where Christian freaks out and Evangelist gets pretty darn upset. a couple of quick notes up front today. First, and as always, how's your Bible reading plan going? To be honest, I've gotten a little behind again. My kids and I are into a show that we watch before bedtime, and then we started staying up way too late, and then I started staying up too late just surfing for jobs on Indeed. By the way, can I just say how weird it is to have dedicated my life to teaching the Bible and making disciples of Jesus, and having to look for jobs where I'm literally not allowed to do that? Makes me feel like I'm selling out or something. My poor kids, they'll ask me a question about their Bible reading, and because I've got all this pent-up Bible teaching energy, they get blasted with a 15-minute theology lesson, two illustrations, and a book recommendation. Anyway, back to the Bible reading. My guess is if I had to do a little self-diagnosis as to why I've dropped off a bit, is that my worry about getting a job is overriding my belief that if I seek God's kingdom and his righteousness first, that all these things will be added to me. You see, as time goes on and God doesn't seem to be making himself very clear to me, I'm starting to take more and more control back into my hands, dropping off in my spiritual discipline so I can maybe try to help God's timing along with my own efforts. And all that I know is backward thinking. I know that. Read, pray, study, meditate, serve, worship, rest, abide, and then go check out Indeed. Right? Okay. Thank you for letting me get that off my chest. Thank you for listening. And uh, But how are you doing? Send me a message. Let me know. Second thing I want to let you know is that my podcast is now available on two pretty huge platforms, iHeartRadio and Amazon Audible Podcasts, which means that if you get the Alexa secret code word order just right, you can actually summon me from your Echo. I've been able to do it once, but then I forgot the exact word order, and now she has no idea what I want. But at the very least, I'm now on seven different podcast services, and I'm trying to do some stuff on YouTube and Facebook and Instagram, so please check all that out and share it with your friends. All right, on with the show. So, imagine you're the CEO of a big city corporation, and the pandemic hits. All the little stores in your city are closing, they're shutting down, they're going out of business, but you've got all the resources in the world to make sure you can stay open and business is good. What really picked up after was your presence online. Since you were already a pretty big name and you already had a pretty good website, it was easy for people to just drop their local shop and switch over to you. In fact, most of the little mom and pop shops weren't ready to go online at all. Well, the ones that had websites, they weren't actually very good, so... Since the pandemic started, you've gotten nothing but more and more and more business in your store and a huge boost online, like nothing you've ever seen. Now, as CEO, what do you do? Well, you do a little dance, right? You build up the business. You, you make things even better. You get cut, really cutthroat and you go after that competition with your windfall and then you go you know, dive into your piles of money like Scrooge McDuck. And let me tell you, 
There are a lot of big companies doing that right now. Amazon is decimating small businesses left and right while still being able to treat their employees like absolute garbage. Delivery services like Uber Eats and DoorDash are raking it in while charging small restaurants so much they almost totally lose their margin. Big stores like Walmart and Costco were able to be labeled as essential, even though three quarters of the people shopping there aren't buying anything essential at all. It's so dumb that if I want something like new shoes, I can get them at Walmart, but I can't actually go to a shoe store. I can get pictures and vases and candy and jewelry and big goods from this big box store, but all the local artisans are going out of business left and right. Now, why can people walk around the beer store, but I can't walk around a mall or a craft show? None of it makes any sense. Anyway, so in this scenario, you get to be the big, happy, successful store. What do you do? Grow more, right? Capitalize on the situation. And a lot of places are. Even churches. In Ontario, all the churches are closed, and there are a lot more closed or really restricted in the U.S. and around the world. Yeah, you can go test drive a car or stand in line with 20 people at the liquor store, but you can't go to church. So dumb. But as small churches are closing or only allowed to have a handful of people, they're struggling to get their services converted to be online, their aging congregations can't figure out how to use the streaming services, more and more people are just watching the big churches online, watching them on the television services. And when restrictions start to lessen and the churches start to open... Many of these people either stay home because they like watching church in their jammies or they head over to the big church that they've been watching for a while and the little church closes and the pastor loses his job and the congregation is scattered. It's really sad and it's actually happening a lot more than you think. But Pastor Alistair Begg of Parkside Church in Cleveland, Ohio, a church of thousands with an online presence of many more thousands, has gone a very different way. Now listen to this. Part of the stated purpose of Truth For Life is that we would be uh, seeking to reinforce the work of local pastors in their local congregations. Uh, COVID-19 has done something that we never anticipated. And that is that our live stream from our 945 service at Parkside has, as a result of the reach of Truth For Life, um, uh, developed a, a, a huge audience. Well, you should say to yourself, well, this is something for which to be thankful. And in one sense, it is. But in terms of our commitment to seeing the local church, the place for primary teaching, primary involvement, um, I just have begun to feel that uh, it would be important for us not to do this anymore through the live stream channels. And so we're not going to, as of the beginning of next month, you will no longer be able to access it uh, through, through um, Truth For Life. However, the good news is that you will still be able to do so by going to uh, parksidechurch.com. And if you're wondering about the ongoing um, material in terms of the sermons preached and the series and everything, that will be business as normal through Truth For Life. It is the live stream aspect of it that will no longer be available through Truth For Life, but still available through parksidechurch.com. And so I hope this will be of help to you in your planning, and particularly uh, those of you who have perhaps begun to feel very comfortable in an online experience and 
uh, your pastor would be greatly encouraged by seeing you arrive uh, uh, all masked up and ready to participate and to encourage him. That's my hope. That's my prayer. That's the reason for the decision. When I heard that, my brain just absolutely exploded. Do you hear what he said at the end there? Now, Pastor Beg is a much better, gentler, kinder, more tactful speaker than I am, but you could hear him at the end saying, stop being lazy and watching church online. Stop being unfaithful to your home church. Stop treating the churches around you as a consumer product and go connect with your own church and listen to your own pastor. I think that's awesome. Truly, truly awesome. Can you imagine Amazon saying, you know what? We've made enough money now. It's time to spread the wealth. So we're going to help small businesses by funneling our customers to them. Or Walmart saying, you know, it's not fair that we're open when so many aren't. So we promise we're not going to sell anything other than essential stuff like food and medicine. Everything non-essential is going to be taken off the shelves because we don't want to grow because of the misfortune of others. I cannot imagine that happening. But that's what Pastor Begg did. And as a former small church pastor, I give him full props and many thanks for it. And I think it behooves us to try to take his lead and support the smaller churches in our area, the ones that we attend and not get sucked into the ease of online services or trading the pastor that you know, the one that's loved you and served you for your life, for some online guy that doesn't know you at all and never will. What a blessing that would be to your pastor, your church, and your congregation, and your community. This week's interesting article is actually a letter to the premiers and provinces and territories of Canada, written on the Gospel Coalition Canada blog, and it's a really good letter. Now, I told myself when I started this podcast that I wasn't going to spend time talking about the pandemic because there's already enough stuff swirling in the air about that, and I'm not an expert on very much of what it affects. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a politician. I'm no economist. So I'm not qualified to talk about virus transmission or how to keep millions of people safe. But there's one thing I am pretty qualified to talk about, and that's the Christian faith. And so I want to read this letter to you. Not because I want to dredge up a bunch of negative stuff about the pandemic or put on my tinfoil hat and spin a bunch of conspiracy theories, but because the letter does such an excellent job speaking about the benefits of being part of a church, part of a church family. And I miss having a church family. I miss going to services. I miss teaching and singing and leading and worshiping and praying with the kids and being peppered with Bible questions and chatting with folks of all sorts over coffee and cookies afterwards. I I miss it all. And my family misses it too. And we all continue to pray that God will lead us to another church that we can call home. Which is why I think that's why the letter hit me. It's a reminder of how important the church is. Not just to individuals, but to communities and nations. A healthy church is a blessing to everyone around it, believers and unbelievers alike. So let me read this letter to you. To the premiers and provinces and territories of Canada. On behalf of the Gospel Coalition Canada Council, please accept our heartfelt thanks for your tireless and dedicated efforts on behalf of all Canadians during this pandemic. We appreciate you and pray for you regularly. The scriptures give tremendous dignity to the role and function of civil government. For it is God's servant for your good. Romans 13.4 We are commanded to honor our civil authorities and to render unto all what is due. Therefore, please accept this expression of our honor and respect for the important role and function you fulfill. 
We further recognize that the authority of civil government properly extends to the matters of the public good, and managing the spread of a dangerous virus such as COVID-19 certainly qualifies under that mandate. We recognize that a threat of this magnitude requires coordinated public response, and we're thankful for the dedicated leadership provided by our federal, provincial, and municipal leaders across the political spectrum. While we admit that for the most part, pastors and religious leaders are not experts in epidemiology, we do dare claim certain insight into the human condition and the tremendous social, personal, and spiritual costs associated with our current strategy and lockdown protocols. We write this letter to you so as to provide you with the best information possible when it comes time to reevaluate our approach. From our perspective, the impact of these measures have been underappreciated. Families have been forced into poverty. Seniors have been separated from their loved ones. Addicts have been operating without support. Single parents have been placed in an impossible situation. And many women have been locked in homes with their abusers. The situation cannot continue indefinitely, and we would advocate for a more targeted approach, one that imposes less of a burden upon the overall social and spiritual fabric of our shared society. It is to this particular consideration that we feel uniquely qualified to speak. It is generally not in the nature of the church to trumpet its actions and contributions to society. Our Lord commanded us to do our work in secret and to seek our commendation from him alone. Thankfully, others have recently taken it upon themselves to shine a light upon the various and significant contributions being made by churches across Canada. According to a recent study by Cardis, the value of religion to Canadian society is estimated at $67 billion annually. Of course, that's not what we consider to be our primary value, but it cannot be denied that Canadian churches provide invaluable services to vulnerable individuals and families. Churches provide the bulk of the counseling services in many communities, usually at no cost to the recipients. Congregations work tirelessly with seniors and other shut-ins. They deliver meals, organize activities, shovel driveways, and make phone calls so as to help the elderly live with dignity in their homes. Churches minister to the immediate needs of Canadians, and also to spiritual needs. We believe that the greatest threat that Canadians currently face is not COVID-19, as deadly as this virus has proven to be. The greatest threat faced by Canadians is the absence of God in their lives. We believe that through the person and work of Jesus Christ, human beings can be healed, forgiven, and restored to the lives and dignity that they were created and intended to enjoy. We believe that matters now, and we believe that matters for eternity. To state the matter simply, we need to find a way to attend to both immediate and ultimate concerns. The gathering of Christians for worship, fellowship, teaching, and encouragement is an essential service not only to us, but also to those we love and serve. The scripture identified the gathered assembly of God's people as the place where miraculous things occur. The Bible says, And let us consider how to stir one another up toward love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Hebrews 10, 24-25 It is when we are together that we are able to stir one another up toward love and good works, works that benefit our friends, loved ones, and fellow citizens. We cannot do this on our own. We need the grace that God supplies through the ordinary means of corporate worship. It is when we are together that we are uniquely equipped to be the blessing we aspire to be for the people of our great nation. We humbly ask that you find a way to manage the spread of this virus that does not deprive us of our sacred and essential assemblies. We would also like to express a concern as to the process behind the enactment of this current lockdown protocol. Our constitution affirms that religion is a public good, 
Through the twin guarantees of religious freedom and religious equality, we recognize that the Charter of Rights and Freedoms allows these protections to be limited where it is demonstrably justified in a free and democratic society to do so, but these limitations must always be proportionate. In the case of COVID-19, lockdowns on places of worship, the public benefit to be gained through decreased virus transmission must be balanced against the very real cost imposed on religious communities. Many of us are seriously concerned about the precedence that ongoing lockdowns may set for future limitations of religious freedom. We implore you to allow places of worship to open their doors again as soon as it is safe to do so. However, we're not blind to the risk of transmission posed by larger gatherings. This is why we are prepared to observe evidence-based best practices to reduce the spread of COVID-19 in our churches. Based on public health data, it's our understanding that where these protocols have been successfully implemented in places of worship, the virus transmission appears to have been minimized, if not outright prevented. None of us want to contribute to the spread of this virus in our communities, and we promise to continue to take these measures seriously once we're allowed to reopen. Thank you once again for your extraordinary leadership during these very troubled times. As the scriptures say, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Psalm 30 verse 5. We're watching eagerly for the dawn as we look forward to working alongside you throughout the season of recovery and renewal that will surely follow. Sincerely, the Gospel Coalition of Canada Executive Board. I really wanted to read that whole thing to you because it was so well written. It's humble, it's encouraging, it's well worded. So let's pray that some of the people who are supposed to read it will read it and take it to heart. last part of these podcasts is an interesting study on the classic book Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. Remember, there's a link to this book for free on my blog if you want to read along. This week we're going to look at the first part of chapter 3, Evangelist Finds Christian Under Mount Sinai and Looks Severely Upon Him. That's a good title, hey? You can tell things went kind of sideways after Christian took Mr. Worldly Wiseman's advice without even reading the chapter. You just know by reading the title. Now he's under a mountain and the person who has been the kindest to him is now super ticked off at him. If you recall last week, Christian was on the way to the wicked gate when Mr. Worldly Wiseman ran up to him, said he was an idiot for heading that way, and said he found an easier and a way better way to get rid of his burden. And it amounted to humanism. Forget God and dig yourself out with rules, positive thinking, being nice, human effort. And at the end of the last chapter, we read this. So Christian turned out of his way to go to Mr. Legality's house for help. But behold, when he was got now hard by the hill, it seemed so high. And also that side of it was next to the wayside did hang so much over that Christian was afraid to venture further lest the hill should fall on his head. Wherefore there he stood still and wanted not what to do. Also his burden now seemed heavier to him. Then while he was in his way, there came also flashes of fire out of the hill that made Christian afraid that he should be burned. Here, therefore, he sweat and did quake for fear, and now he began to be sorry that he had taken Mr. Worldly Wiseman's counsel. He didn't even get to the hill yet, and he was freaking out. 
Hard by just means close to. He'd gotten close to the hill, and all of his worst fears start coming true. The flames are rising up. He's sinking lower because of his burden. He's terrified. All the things he wanted to avoid when he fled from the city of destruction are now happening to him. And so the chapter today begins, and with that, he saw Evangelist coming to meet him, at the sight of whom he began to blush for shame. So Evangelist drew nearer and nearer, and coming up to him, he looked upon him with a severe and dreadful countenance, and thus began to reason with Christian. A person's countenance is their facial expression. Evangelist was super mad, and Christian could tell just by looking at his face. But... Instead of coming over there and tearing him a new one, he, like a good mentor, good counselor, good friend, starts with a bunch of questions. What are you doing here? Aren't you the guy I sent to the wicked gate? What happened? Why aren't you there? Who told you different? What did he say? Now Christian, to his credit, answers truthfully, and then Evangelist speaks. He begins saying, Then stand still a little, that I may show thee the words of God. Now, as a preacher at heart, I appreciate that line. All right, I've asked questions, I've listened, and now close your mouth, stand there, and listen to what the Bible says. Not what I say, not a history lesson, not a new education, not some map back to the wicked gate. He confronts Christian with the words of God. He quotes Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. And then, as a good preacher, he not only proclaims the words of God, but he also explains it and he applies it. He says, listen, Christian, all the fear and misery you feel right now is because you didn't trust God. He told you the way of salvation, and you didn't believe him. And it almost led you into hell. Now listen far more carefully than you did the first time. The man you were talking to doesn't actually believe in God. Yeah, he goes to church. He's a big shot in town. He's converted many people and makes a good argument about the importance of obeying the law and being nice and trying hard. But everything he says is utterly false when it comes to salvation. First, he preaches a false gospel. His gospel is the wide and easy way that leads to destruction, not the straight and narrow. Second, he denies the cross. He goes against what Jesus taught when he said that to save your life, you must lose it. That following him is going to make you some enemies. That being his disciple might cost you your very life. And third, even though his gospel seems nice, easy, friendly, self-satisfying, self-aggrandizing, makes you feel like you're really contributing something to the world and to God, it's actually a path straight to death. He told you to go to legality, to be a religious legalist, but that isn't freedom. That's bondage. You'll strive and strive, but you'll never be free of your sin because there's no amount of good deeds, no amount of religious fervor that could cancel out the curse of sin and remove your guilt. Good deeds don't cancel out bad deeds. The bad deeds remain and must be dealt with by a just God. The wages of sin is death. And he told you to go to his son's civility, to be polite and courteous and nice. And while that may look pretty good on the outside... All God sees is hypocrisy. All his so-called good deeds are all falsely motivated and stained with sin. God rejects all that he calls good as just a fancier, whitewashed form of evil. Then, for confirmation, the voice of God, the word of God, once again, to show this isn't an opinion that evangelist is coming up with, comes thundering from the mountain, quoting Galatians 3.10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. 
In other words, if you break even one law, if you mess up the tiniest aspect of the law of God, if you don't perfectly follow exactly what God wants in your life and for all people, in word, in deed, in thought, in motive, for every single part of your life, all day, every day, you'll be damned. You will have broken his law. And that's impossible. That, Christian, is why you feel like you do. Because there's no amount of religion, no amount of good deeds, no amount of legalism or civility that will free your heart, cleanse your soul, and put you into a right relationship with your creator. That's a miracle. And it only comes by faith in what Jesus did on the cross for you. Christian, upon hearing this, was utterly crushed. Remember, he's not saved yet. He hasn't made it past the wicked gate. He doesn't grasp the amazing grace of God, the free gift of salvation. So his next question is, well, is there hope? Am I done? Have I blown it completely? Is God done with me? Am I, am I, I'm sorry I listen to Mr. Worldly Wiseman, but how do I get free from this curse, this, this double curse that I brought upon myself? Can this level of sin be forgiven? Now, what would you say? Take a minute, just, just pause there for a second and put yourself in evangelist's shoes. How do you respond to, can this sin be forgiven? Can my betrayal be forgiven? Now, I'd say, yes, absolutely, for sure. You've clearly repented. Just say the words and we'll go straight to the baptismal tank, right? But interestingly, evangelist doesn't start there. He says, your sins are very great. In fact, they're worse than you even think. Can you imagine Christian's face at that point? But evangelist continues. But yes, you can still go to the wicked gate. You can be forgiven. God wants good for you, not evil. But Christian, don't turn away again. And I love how this section ends. Let me read it. It says, So he went on with haste. Neither spake he to any man by the way, nor if he asked him would he vouchsafe them an answer. He went like one that was all the while treading upon foreign ground and could by no means think himself safe till he again was got in the way in which he left to follow Mr. Worldly Wiseman's counsel. In other words, Christian absolutely booked it back to the right path with his fingers in his ears yelling, la 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 until he got to the wicked gate. I wish we could all do that. To use our haste, our energy, to run back to Jesus, back to grace, back to following the word of God, and not the wisdom of this world, not religion, just Jesus. Me and my Bible reading, I need to do that. Many people need to do that with getting back to their local church. In what way do you need to do that? Next week, we're going to do the end of chapter three. Read all the way up to page 27, Christian's Conversation with Goodwill at the Wicked Gate. I hope you join me. And that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you heard something interesting. If you enjoyed my podcast, liking, rating, and subscribing really helps me out. You can find me on, well, pretty much everywhere. And I upload things to Facebook and YouTube, and maybe I'll do Rumble. Is anybody else on Rumble? Remember, you can find all the interesting links, more episodes, and a bunch of other good stuff, like my free books, on the website at artofthechristianninja.com. Of Interest has its own social media accounts, too, but I've only got like seven followers right now, so please go follow the Of Interest podcast on Facebook and Instagram for updates, book deals, and whatever else I can figure out to put on there. 
And then you can connect with me too, with your questions, comments, ideas for more interesting things I can include in the podcast. And of course, if you like what I'm doing here and you want me to keep it up, please consider supporting me financially through the PayPal donation button on the website. I love doing this, but I can only keep the content flowing with supports from listeners like you. Have a great week, and I'll talk to you soon.